Hey everybody and welcome into episode 8 of the Landscape Photography Show. On the show today, really excited to have this guest on. It's Jennifer Renwick. Jennifer has some amazing input on what's going on in photography right now and, and especially in this conversation that we had. I thought it was incredible the way she described how she goes out and looks for abstract designs in nature and finding those and composing those and photographing those for a really high quality image, something she's really, really good at and I've looked up to and respected for a long time because I have a really tough time doing that in landscape photography. We also talk a lot about like mood and emotion and how you attach those things to your photography, but also doing so in a way with strategies not to get fatigue in outdoor photography and struggle with the burnout factor that can happen in landscape photography. So let's get to today's episode. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Jennifer Renwick joins us on the podcast today. Jennifer, we have never talked via podcast before. How's we it going? We haven't. No, just on Instagram and Facebook, I believe. <laughs> Yeah, I was just talking with David, who was in last week's episode, and we were talking about how crazy the community of landscape photographers is and how close and tight knit it can be and how you can just reach out to somebody on social media. And it's like the next weekend you can go shoot with them. Exactly. It's always fun. You know, I always say when I meet people out in the field that I've interacted with on social media, you know, whether it's Instagram or Facebook, and you actually get to run into that person face to face. It's like, oh, it's so nice to finally put a live being with that handle. (laughs) Right. You know, I've talked to you before. And, you know, now here you are. It's always fun to meet people. Yeah. And it's so rare because we go out and shoot like by ourselves. So right. (laughs) And more often than not, you think you're by yourself. And then as you're like walking back out of your scene, you know, you know, you see four or five different people and it's like, oh, (laughs) how has your life changed in the past few years getting into landscape photography and really making that switch? Because you were a vet tech before this, correct? Correct. So I have kind of a detailed background. I originally I have my bachelor's degree in geology. Um, Okay. My father was a geologist. He taught community college and high school. So it was, I don't want to say it was in my blood, but (laughs) it was kind of natural for me to kind of follow in his footsteps because, you know, he raised me very science oriented. Um, I accompanied him out in the field and, you know, with his students, I really fell in love with rocks. I was one of those geeky little kids. Um, yes, I had a rock collection. <laughs> I'm not afraid nice. to admit that. <laughs> um, Do you still have it is the, is the bigger oh, question. It's buried in a shed somewhere, but yes, <laughs> it still exists. And I still pick up rocks where it's legal to collect things. So, <laughs> um, so I, I did that as my undergrad and quickly made the decision that I did not want to go work for an oil company. I didn't want to go to grad school and I had always loved animals. So I thought, well, maybe, you know, I have all the prereqs. I'm just, you know, maybe I'll head down the veterinary medicine road. And before I did that, there was a program 
through one of the um, community colleges in Illinois. That's where I'm originally from. And I thought, well, you know, let's go try the certified tech route. So I did two years of that right after graduating with my bachelor's, took my board exams, got licensed, and then decided, yeah, six years of school, that was good enough for me for a while. So um, I went on and ended up working at a practice for 14 years. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. And probably it was about four years ago now, um, I had a kind of a major life change. I ended up getting divorced. Um, my father had moved out to Denver at that point, and I was continually going out to visit him three, four times a year, and we would kind of do dad-daughter trips for photography. And it was just kind of that point when I got divorced. I had been at my job for 14 years. They were, you know, 14 very rewarding years, but compassion fatigue is a real thing in that field. And, you know, working 60, 70-hour work weeks, being on call on the weekends, it was just time for a break. And photography was something I had done as a hobby. And then I met David and kind of, you know, one thing led to another. I ended up literally packing up everything in my truck, headed out west and started out on the road with David. <laughs> just and a kinda, slight change. Oh, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> but it was very rewarding. It was liberating to give up a lot of stuff. Um, I'm sure he told you, you know, we travel in a little travel trailer with our two cats Um yeah, it was just, you know, living simply, pouring myself into photography full time. You know, it's done wonders for my craft. And, you know, I, I really haven't looked back. It's It's been an amazing journey. And, you know, a lot of my friends thought I was crazy, you know, in a good way. But, you know, when life hands you these opportunities, you just got to go with it. How has your identity changed from those days being a vet tech professionally to being a professional photographer? And maybe... Maybe identity change isn't the right term, but growth, I guess I could say, from that time to where you are now. Um, I would say I've definitely, when I was working so hard, um, you know, I kind of lost a little bit of myself, I think, as everyone does when they pour themselves into their jobs. And nature has always been pretty much the center of my universe. Like, you know, I escape out into nature when I get stressed, you know, I walks in nature, do wonders for the mood. And, you know, I wasn't really getting that when I was doing my job. So now that I've been doing it for a few years, it's, you know, I've really connected back with, you know, what I originally fell in love with. And, you know, I'm able to use my communication skills, you know, because I dealt with people on a daily basis working in the clinic, you know, the common misconception is, you know, oh, you go into veterinary medicine, so you don't have to deal with people. Well, every animal comes with an owner and yeah. the animal is not telling you what's wrong. You know, the person is. So those skills have been useful. Um, it's really fun to connect with our clients or anyone that I meet in this profession. Um, but it's definitely I feel more myself since I've been doing this full time. Um, I've always been a very creative person and I feel like I'm able to really expand on that versus, you know, keeping it inside for the weekend. Like when I would go out to photograph, you know, in Illinois just to get away. So it's really helped me develop more of myself and just kind of, you know, get back to my old self, I would say. And I've really enjoyed it. Are you happier now? Oh, definitely. I'm loads happier. Um, I, I mean, I miss veterinary medicine and I still have my license and I do my CE. Um, someday I'd like to get back into it. Um, I'll never let that degree go, but it, it's been a really nice break. And, you know, everyone that knows me says, oh, you're so much happier that you're doing this now. And, 
you know, it shows and I'm delighted to be able to do this full time. You said you were, you got your undergrad in geology. I got my undergrad in geography. Oh, Um, okay. Yep. I would be interested to hear how you perceive how maybe you use some of your geology knowledge in landscape or nature photography, whatever you want to call it, because I constantly struggle with explaining that to people. (laughs) It definitely helps. I mean, having the geology degree, you get so in depth, um, knowing rocks, knowing how they form, being able to look at a, literally a pile of rocks and know how they got there. Um, and I think it helps. It's really useful on our workshops because instead of just being a photography instructor, you know, I'm also, you know, David jokes that you're kind of the naturalist too. So when we go to locations, I'm able to, you know, point out features, kind of let them know a history of the area. I usually go over flora and fauna that kind of goes along with the vet tech degree. Um, so I'm, I'm able to wrap that all up into an experience, which, you know, I think a lot of our clients appreciate versus just arriving and saying, okay, there are those mountains. We're going to shoot those. I can say, oh, those are the, you know, for example, Grand Tetons, you know, they're on a fault block, you know, fault system, you know, they're rising, the valley is sinking, they're made of this and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But people seem to really enjoy that. And it's fun to be able to combine those two aspects of my life into one. Yeah, it's really interesting when you start to explain it to people, how much you start to realize goes into whether that's geology, geography, what I'm familiar with. Um, and I was interested in going in and getting, uh, my master's in meteorology. So like weather is a big thing to me knowing wind patterns, what the clouds are going to do. And I think that is, is a huge help whenever you're out into the field, helping people, different things like that. Definitely. Because, you know, I come, you know, obviously I have an eye for abstracts and, you know, when you get close up to certain rocks, especially for example, the sandstone in Zion, you know, all those striations and the cross bedding, you know, they look different, excuse me, in different types of light. And they're really colorful when you get them in the like early morning or the, you know, blue hour in the evening. And it's fun to be able to look at those details and incorporate them into my photography and help our students see that as well. Yeah, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Why abstracts? So it's funny that you ask that because probably about a week ago, I had my own little epiphany with that. I was sitting processing some photos and, you know, I've I've been drawn to abstracts probably since I'd say about three years ago. All of a sudden, it just kind of clicked out in the field one day when I was photographing some rock faces. Um, and David's often asked me that as well. He's like, you know, why do you think you're drawn to those? And I really think it kind of stems from both geology in my background and the vet tech, because when I was a vet tech, I was actually working on getting my specialty certification in clinical pathology. So that's really nerdy. And that's looking at, you know, blood films and, um, you know, fecal floats for animals, looking for parasites, um, cytologies, all the boring cellular stuff. But I found it fascinating. So I spent most of the last few years of my career glued to microscopes, scanning blood films. And you look for blood parasites and bacteria and just focusing on those, you know, tiny, tiny things, I think helps me with my eye out in the field with abstracts because I'm already programmed to do that. And in geology, we used to look at um, thin sections under a microscope to look at crystallography and everything. 
and the colors. And I think that kind of prepared me when I got into photography because I was immediately drawn to it, you know, and I'm a big component of, you know, what do you see? What catches your eye? If it catches your eye, shoot it because, you know, subconsciously it's telling you that you're connected to this and, you know, you should take a photograph of it. So I really think being able to focus in on those smaller scenes kind of came from both backgrounds because I just naturally kind of fell to those tiny little macro scenes and loved looking at them. So I think it's kind of helped me, you know, process why I like shooting abstract so much. Let's go a little bit deeper than that. What draws you to a type of abstract versus another one? And that could even be, you know, within the same mud flat. Yeah. Um, it's usually patterns or textures I'm extremely drawn to. Um, for example, in a whole thing, like a whole field or ply of mud cracks, I usually gravitate towards the ones that are like with the curled edges catching the light. Um, certain patterns that have been created by either cracking or debris, you know, being um, kind of blown across the playa. Um, if it's sand, you know, just the different patterns, the textures, you know, if you hit the dunes after a rain and it dries, you get so many different textures that you would see then versus just going out during the day. Um, I think I'm really attracted to just repetitive patterns and lines like that always draws me in. I mean, David and I can be out photographing together and he'll be off doing his own thing. And, you know, I'm kind of following along and I'll just get totally sidelined by, oh, wait, here's this tiny little thing over here and then spend the next like 45 minutes with it. <laughs> That's not uncommon. I'm mostly looking at the ground when I go out to photograph. <laughs> <laughs> now, how do you explain to people how you frame this up compositionally? Because a lot of people just see, you know, a bunch of squares that they could put into a shot, take one click, and they're like, oh, okay, that's cool. I'll move right. on. Is yeah. there a process that your mind goes through? Um, I don't know if it's so much a process versus just, I will say I spend a lot of time. I don't just like show up, shoot something, and then in post, like crop down into it and find mm -hmm. patterns after the fact. I do try to carefully craft my abstracts, um, you know, because just like a scene, they have flow. So you can always find, you know, lines swooping up one way. You can see patterns making little details that, you know, kind of mimic a grand scene, you know, because when you put together a grand scene, you're looking for components that kind of act harmoniously together. And the same thing can be seen in abstract patterns, you know, and I just, I try to look for lines. I try to look for colors, contrast, all the same things that you would apply to a grand scene, but just on a much smaller scale. So I will be very picky when I'm searching these areas of little scenes, you know, carefully setting up my lens, looking through my viewfinder or my LCD and, you know, moving a few inches this way, maybe, you know, putting my tripod up a little higher. You know, I, I, I just kind of try to see a composition in every abstract. And, you know, if you just look long enough and you kind of study it, you'll see that each one has flow and you can very well make a nice composition in there versus just here's a photo of patterns. How often is the success rate coming up in, in small abstracts versus a bigger landscape scene? I'd, maybe success rate isn't the right word because I know I hate to put a success <laughs> and a failure tag on photography, but how often are you coming back and you see an image and you're like, yeah, I, I could really do something with this? Um, I would say 
it's probably about 60% of the time because I will shoot, I, you know, I'm very liberal when I'm out shooting and I will shoot whatever I can since, you know, quote unquote, you know, digital is free. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say usually I'd say 60 to 70% I come back with and I find that they're successful and I will post-process them and, you know, actually show them to the world, which is interesting because I mean, and again, I'm not tying this in with popularity or anything, but I will say that abstract images that I post on social media definitely don't do as well as the grand landscape. And I try not to let that gauge, you know, like, oh, you know, this is good. This is not good. You know, it's what I like to shoot. It's what I found interesting. And it's really, you know, if anyone else doesn't find it interesting, then that's great. You know, that's their opinion. They're totally welcome to have that. It's more about, you know, what makes me happy, what caught my eye and what I connected with. But definitely abstracts don't seem to do as well as other types of photography, you know, grand landscapes, small scenes, but you know, I'm happy and that's what I'm drawn to. So I'll keep shooting them. And yeah. (laughs) Have you fought with that or struggled with that before? Um, I have a little bit, you know, I think everyone, especially photographers, you know, kind of have that, you know, battle with social media where, you know, you see some scene getting, you know, 40, or excuse me, like 4,000 likes. And then, you know, here's this little abstract scene that, you know, for me, it does well if it gets like 200 or 300, but it can, you know, mess with your brain a little bit and your psyche. And you start to feel like, oh gosh, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this because it's not the popular thing to do. But then I always have to stop myself and say, it's not about popularity. It's about expressing yourself in your craft. It's about doing what makes you feel good and makes you happy shooting because I mean, we all got into this for ourselves or at least we should have gotten into it for ourselves. And if you're photographing to please others, then you're not in it for the right reasons at all. And I will, the caveat to that is if, you know, you are selling stock photography or, you know, you do sell prints, you know, I think that's kind of a separate world, but um, yeah, first and foremost, like just photograph for yourself. That's what I was going to ask you being a professional. Is it tougher to fight that? It is. Um, But over the last year and a half, I've made it a goal to not feel like that. And, you know, people connect with an image when they know you've connected with it. So I know that they're not landscapes, but um, my black and white dolphin series, I connected on a very personal level with those when I was photographing them and I was doing it for myself. It was I'm very big on personal photography projects. Um, and how those help with your creativity and kind of expressive photography and even getting to know yourself through your photography. So I did those as a personal project and those by far are probably my most popular images where I'll get emails and people have actually bought them and they say, you know, these are so intriguing, you know, I connect with this and then they'll usually tell me a story of why they connect with it. And I fully feel, you know, it's because I connected with that. And when you connect with it, your viewer is going to connect with it versus just a pretty picture. And it can be, you know, a landscape that you connect with or a feeling that you're trying to portray, but it's just super important that, you know, you put yourself into that photo and it's something that you enjoy shooting and, you know, everyone's going to see that when they view the photo and know that, you know, oh yeah, you know, there's some feeling to this versus just a pretty picture. And you know, it's not always the most popular scene and I'm okay with that because it's, it's what I like to do. Like I said, you know, what I like to photograph is what catches my eye, what I connect with. It might not necessarily be the popular thing, but 
you know, in the end, people connect more with it, you know, if they know that you connected with it. So you see correlation between personal project, emotional connection to the image and feedback. Definitely. Definitely. Because it means something to you. Has that been learned? Was that a process that you had to go through? Um, a little bit. So the dolphins were kind of an aha moment for me just because my mother had just passed away unexpectedly. And both of my parents, my dad did underwater photography. We were all a family of scuba divers. So the ocean was very important to me. So after she died, we were actually in Death Valley. Um, we flew back to Illinois, went to the funeral, came back. And, you know, David said, let's go to the coast. You know, let's just get you out of here and, you know, get you back to the ocean. And we just went out on a whale watching expedition and we saw dolphins. And I thought, you know, these would be a nice black and white project. And it turned into this lifelong project. It didn't just stop at six images. And I submitted them into Lenswork, which is a like a kind of a fine art black and white publica- publication focused more on the creative process. And they actually got published. And then since then, I've been working on these photo projects and I've been published two or actually this year will be my third time. So it kind of doing that one project kind of launched me into photo projects, which then launched my photography into being more creative and focusing on things for myself. So it was kind of a process from that first project being published that kind of opened my eyes to a bunch of other creative things, which have definitely impacted my photography for the better. I just want to pause the conversation that Jennifer and I are having right now real quick to tell you about today's sponsor for the show, and that's Visual Wilderness. You can go to visualwilderness.com and find tons of resources to help you improve your photography, not only just with like the infield work and finding resources on that and blogs and video courses and tutorials, but you're also going to find detailed instructional videos on post-processing and, and how to take that field work to the next level. You can go to today's show notes by going to davidjohnstonart.com slash podcast slash Renwick, that's R-E-N-W-I-C-K, and find links to get my tutorials for post-processing and landscape photography for 33% off for a very limited time right now. You can use the code David33 during checkout to get those. Again, that's davidjohnstonart.com slash podcast slash Renwick to get the Visual Wilderness courses that I've submitted on there to help you improve your post-processing. Also, you can be a yearly subscriber to that and pay monthly. You'll find the link for that in the show notes as well, where you get all the resources for free and you'll be able to dominate your landscape photography. But for now, let's get back to this episode. For you, the dolphins are in black and white. You also have some other black and white images on your website. For you, the process of going through something in black and white, how is that different than doing like a colorful abstract or a grand scene somewhere? So um, at the time when I did the dolphins, um, other than the physical things that caught my eye with the black and white, you know, like their scars on their skin stood out better. You know, I liked the glassy black 
look of the water. It was also, it tied more into my emotions too, because grief to me is more than black and white. Um, you know, when you go through the grieving process, you have so many ups and downs. And during the process of this project, you know, seeing the dolphins in black and white reminded me of grieving. You know, sometimes you have the really bright days, like the white, you know, where you feel really good, you think you're doing better, and then you, you know, can very easily the next day fall into like a black hole. And there's so many shades of gray in between. So for me, I felt processing them in black and white played with my emotions and kind of what I was feeling at the time, but it also, they just, they looked really nice in black and white and black and white is a medium that I do enjoy working in. So I, I mean, I think even though it's black and white and it's not colorful, you can, there, there's so much depth to black and white images and all those shades of gray in between can really, you know, speak volumes. It sounds like life experiences have a huge impact on your expression in photography they definitely do how do you play into that um you know because i I, feel like it can be a slippery slope sometimes it can and i don't i mean i don't want everyone thinking you know oh i just go out when i'm in a bad mood or i'm feeling happy right photograph (laughs) that's not how it is at all but you know like nature is is therapy to me so you know, just taking a walk in nature without my camera really helps my photography. Um, You know, using life experiences, you know, and my emotions when I happen to be out photographing, you know, it kind of determines what I'm going to photograph. You know, if I'm feeling a little depressed or, you know, a little sad, I usually tend to gravitate towards like water abstracts. Um, If I'm in a good mood, you know, I tend to find the happier, brighter, more colorful things. But a lot of the times for me, it's just about getting out into nature, going for a walk and just, you know, shooting without preconceived notions and shooting what catches my eye. And if the emotions play into that, depending on what I'm feeling that day, they do. But, you know, sometimes I just go out and, you know, they don't really form my photography that day. But yeah, a lot of my projects are based on my emotions and I'm huge with like the expressive photography and you know, we, we teach a little bit of that on our workshops and, you know, it's fun to teach and watch others kind of open up to that idea. And instead of just a pretty picture, you know, putting your emotions in it or finding something that, you know, makes you relate, um, you know, they just, they enjoy learning those aspects and it can really open their eyes to not just taking pretty pictures, but also expressing themselves through their photography. Well, that's gotta be so mind opening for a lot of people because so many people go into, like the locations that you take them on workshops and have like a preconceived shot list that they want to get. Oh, definitely. And, you know, and that's completely fine. You know, I mean, everyone, I mean, I I would say, you know, 80% of photographers, in my opinion, I mean, we all got into this because we were inspired by those iconic scenes and, Mm -hmm. you know, those that shot before us. But, you know, it's, it's also fun to take that, you know, still do that, but also continue on and take it into a, you know, a different direction because our goal with our workshops is to not only, you know, teach the basics, kind of, you know, get you thinking differently, but make our students well-rounded photographers because you're not always going to go out and have those epic sunsets. You know, every day isn't going to be, you know, a shot of color in the sky. You know, you're going to have harsh light. You're you know, going to have quote unquote boring skies. And, you know, we teach, you know, that's why we teach smaller scenes. We teach abstracts and we teach the expressive photography because I'd rather be a well-rounded photographer versus one that, 
can only shoot when there's epic light happening. And they really appreciate that. You know, we'll get emails later on, you know, saying, yeah, you know, I, I really started utilizing, you know, the smaller scenes and I'm so happy with what I'm getting. And it's really, you know, adding on to my, you know, photography experience because I'm not just looking for one thing anymore when I go out shooting. Your favorite park or place to lead a workshop in is what? And I'm not going to let you say that they're all great. <laughs> oh, no, no. I definitely, I have favorites. Um, right now where we're currently leading workshops, it would probably be Death Valley. Um, but my personal favorite park to shoot in is Yellowstone National Park. And we Why haven't led we haven't led workshops there yet, but we're hoping to in the future. Um, so during my geology time in college, we took a trip out for our field studies course to Yellowstone, and it was my first time ever being out west. And I just fell in love. You know, Yellowstone is somewhere where you can literally, <clears throat> excuse me, feel and hear the earth breathing. You know, it's not just thousands and thousands of feet of rock under our feet. You know, the earth is actually alive. And just the sights, the smells, and just being able to immerse yourself in that, it's pretty spectacular. And of course, I'm a nerdy geologist. So, you know, the inner workings of geysers, you know, fascinate me. And I don't mind the sulfur smell. You know, David's like, I don't understand why you think that's one of your favorite <laughs> smells, you know? And I said, I don't know. It's just, you know, you can smell the earth breathing. Um, so that, you know, one of my first abstract projects was Yellowstone abstracts from the thermal features. And I have since continued on doing that too. But you know, grand scenes, intimate scenes, abstract scenes, it's got it all, but it's, that's probably my favorite park. Now I'm going to read you some names here. Uh, Emily Dickey, uh, Aaron Bobnick, let's see, scroll down, Isabella Tabachi, and then your number 11 on this list that I found on top 25 landscape photographers of 2018, that's a year removed how does it feel being included on lists like this since, I mean, you're relatively new to full-time landscape photography? Oh, yes. What is that um, feeling like? So that was a complete surprise to me. Um, we were actually driving to Anza Borrego last year when I got the email from Christian, you know, saying, you know, I've included you in this and I was just blown away. I mean, I had no idea you know, I just thought, you know, I'm just in my own little corner of this, you know, just shooting abstracts and, you know, what I like to see and the fact that he noticed that and called me, you know, inspirational, just, it really meant a lot to me. You know, I thought this is, wow. Like I never, I mean, I had seen that list get published every single year and I never dreamed that I'd ever make it, you know? And so on one hand it felt, you know, it felt really good. It kind of made me feel like, see, you know, it, you know, verified, you know, going out, shooting what you connect with, you know, it doesn't matter if it's the not popular thing to shoot, but, you know, see like other people notice that. And it's inspiring to inspire other people's to shoot smaller scenes and abstracts. On the other hand, you know, lists can be very, you know, exclusive and make other people, you know, feel not so good about themselves. And, you know, there are so many people out there, even, you know, accounts that don't have large followings on Instagram, that there are just some amazing photographers on there. But I was also very happy to see he included so many women on the list. Like that was very inspiring. It's, it's always good to see women, um, you know, making their way more often in this field. So that was a very positive thing to me. And I was grateful for that. 
Well, that's that's the next thing I wanted to ask you is is the names that I read out were women on that list, and there are several right. more on the list who are women. I don't want to put women photographers in like this their own separate category because you they are amazing photographers and oh, yeah. they should be included in all of these lists and recognized for that. What does it feel like for you seeing more women photographers get notoriety though that they should receive all the time? It's a very good feeling. Um, and I agree with you. Yeah. It shouldn't always take a list or um, a certain event to like bring attention to them because, you know, they've, we've all been here this whole time. Um, obviously I'm very new in this field, so I'm not including myself really in that, but, um, it's, it's good to see. And I think it, it needs to be more, you know, I still, there are still times where I feel like it's kind of a boys club. Um, but it's nice to see women finally getting recognized and supporting each other. You know, I'm part of a, um, photography group on Facebook that actually Aaron Bobnick started. And it's, it's very nice to be among those ladies and, you know, support each other, you know, ask questions, you know, see other people's or see other women's photography. And, you know, there are so many out there and like the international landscape photographers competition last year, it was nice to see so many women in the um, top 100. Um, A few of my colleagues made that and it was very exciting to see, but you know, I, I agree. Like it shouldn't take one list to bring attention to them, but I think slowly, but surely, you know, women are definitely making their mark in this field and it's starting to feel a little less like it's a male dominated hobby. Do you see yourself as a leader in that? Um, yes and no. Uh, I would say it, it, uh, one positive outcome since joining David, you know, because before, you know, David led workshops on his own, since joining him, we've actually had a lot more women on our workshops. The fun ones are where it's, you know, just David and like, you know, six women. <laughs> it's always <laughs> fun and we can kind of, you know, tease him. But um, definitely seeing, I think, a, a, a woman photography leader, women tend to kind of like that because sometimes it's not fun signing up for a workshop if you think you're going to be the only woman or maybe, you know, they're not comfortable. So it's been nice seeing a rise in female participants on our workshops that, you know, David didn't really see before. Um, but I don't know if I see myself as like a leader per se, but I'm also someone that doesn't have a lot of confidence (laughs) as most photographers. Um, so I'm not sure I feel comfortable saying I'm a leader in that, but I'm very supportive of my female colleagues and anytime, you know, they get the notoriety or they do something really awesome. You know, I, I love being there and cheerleading them on and supporting them. Well, I think it's important because like I said before, it's not like, oh, it's cute. Like you guys are showing up in the landscape too. And like doing this as well. A lot of times like female photographers have like this unique viewpoint of the landscape or have a different, you know, emotional connection. Like we've been talking about throughout this episode And I think that should be recognized and expressed and definitely something that people need to think more about their, their thought tendencies when they think about, you know, women landscape photographers. Cause like you said, it is typically thought of as a boys club. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I just hope that this trend continues and, you know, there, 
more and more of us kind of get out there and get the notoriety that we need. And, you know, I think the biggest thing is just being supportive. You know, I mean, we, there are so many amazing women landscape photographers and collaborating with them and, you know, talking and, you know, trying to think of other projects to do. It's, it's just very supportive. And I think the number one thing that we as women can do is support each other, lift each other up, you know, a high tide sails all ships. So it it makes sense to kind of, you know, lift one another up when something good happens or, you know, it's just, yeah, I think the more supportive we can be of other women, the stronger, I don't want to say like, you know, girl power or anything, but, you know, I think the more we'll all rise together as a group. The validation of being on lists like these or being recognized just for your style, does, does it put pressure on you? Um, not really, because, you know, like I said, it, it's, it's always a good feeling to be included on a list, but at the same time, I didn't get that feeling of, oh, geez, you know, I got to step up my game now and got to do something even more amazing. No, right. it just, it gave me the confidence knowing a little bit that, you know what, see, following what you like to shoot, whether it's popular or not, as long as you connect with it, that's the path that, you know, you need to take. And I've just continued on doing, you know, exactly that this year, you know, it didn't really shape my feelings or, you know, put the pressure on me to be even better. It's just, you know, it kind of gave me a little bit of validation, just showing me that I'm on a right path, just photographing for myself. What's it like living in an RV with David? (laughs) Well, I'll say it's been about four years and he hasn't left me on a street corner yet or vice versa. (laughs) Have you left Um, him on a street corner though? No, not yet. Okay. (laughs) Um, It's funny because we had been dating a few months, you know, before that. And really, if you want to test your relationship, definitely living in a tight space on the road for four years is a definite test. Um, And we passed, you know, we work really well together. Um, We've got the two cats. It's, It's almost like having a small house. I mean, we have all the luxuries, you know, we have heat, you know, freezer, refrigerator, stovetop, microwave, everything, you know, I'd say the only thing we're missing is a couch at the moment, which we do miss. Um, but it's been fun. And it's allowed me to really focus on my photography full time. Um, being able to stay in a place long enough. So for instance, Death Valley, we usually spend all winter in Death Valley. So through that, we've really gotten to know that landscape intimately, um, know the weather patterns. So in turn on our workshops, you know, we can better um, actually put clients in better positions during certain things because we know like, oh, if it's raining, then over here at this time, you know, the sun's out, you can get a rainbow or, or if it just rained on these dunes, we need to give it like a day or two, but then there will be these amazing patterns out there. Um, So being mobile really helps you connect with the landscape and in turn helps our workshop clients um, see the best of that landscape because we know it so intimately. Um, Of course, you miss you know, things of home life. Um, and we will have a house last year. We just purchased four and a half acres in Ridgeway, which is where we met. So this part of Colorado has always been special to us. And, you know, the plan is to build in three or four years because, you know, it just, it didn't make sense to have an apartment in Denver for, you know, I think the going rate right now is like Uh $2,000, $2,500 that we'd be at three to four times a year. So it just didn't make sense. Um, but Life on the, you know, it's, it's been fun. It's been an adventure. Um, you know, people usually just see the best of that. Like, 
you know, hashtag RV life, like, look where we are, you know, we're waking up, you know, next to the Tetons, you know, look at this, oh, happy, happy. But there are so many, you know, darker parts of traveling full time that, you know, people don't see. And nobody ever, you know, puts that out there on social media, like, oh, look, our gray tank is leaking or, yeah. <laughs> oh, we have a mouse, you know, no one ever showcases that side of it. But all in all, it's mostly positive and those little negative things happen even if you have a house, you know, your water heater goes out, you know, your heat goes out. It's just, you know, that's part of life. But definitely being mobile has helped my photography and really helped me be able to put myself in the landscapes and focus on it full time. You mentioned uh, when you were a vet tech, you went through kind of a compassion fatigue in that field. Do you find yourself doing things now in photography that help you fight fatigue? Not really compassion fatigue, but maybe like fight getting tired of going out and shooting all the time. Yeah, you definitely, that was one of the things, you know, doing this full time, it, it, it's hard to be creative every single day. Um, it's, it's happened a few times. I had an especially bad episode of that this past January, um, where I just kind of lost all drive to go out and photograph. And, you know, it, 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 I think it's natural and it happens, you know, no matter what field you're in, so when that started to happen, I actually just, you know, I did what I usually do. You know, I go out for a hike, go for a walk, focus on some other things. I also do a lot of writing. Um, so that was a good opportunity to focus on that. But to get over those things, I, I just, I put myself back into nature, but I don't bring my camera. Because sometimes I think as photographers, we get so wrapped up in, you know, oh, I'm going to go for a hike or I'm going to climb to this mountain. And we lug all of our camera gear with because we're so afraid of, you know, well, what if, you know, what if there is an epic sunset and I can't catch it? And I think that puts so much pressure on our psyches to, you know, go out and deliver all the time that sometimes you just got to leave that stuff at home and go out for that hike or walk or, you know, summit that mountain without your camera gear because it kind of clears your mind. And it helped bring me back to being creative. So, what got me out of that lull was we went for a walk on a beach and I hadn't photographed in probably three weeks and I didn't have my camera with me. And I saw all these amazing sand patterns coming in. Um, it happened to be a very stormy time on the coast and it was leaving these amazing sand patterns. And I thought, Oh, these are really pretty, but you know, without having the camera there, it just felt more natural to kind of get myself out of that funk. And I, I think it's hard, you know, David and I still struggle with that. There'll be days, you know, well, let's go scout over here or go for a hike. And then we find ourselves sitting at the car, staring at each other. Are you bringing a camera? I don't know. Are you bringing a camera? I don't know. And then one of us <laughs> will finally just make the decision, you know, no, we're just doing this to connect and actually enjoy the hike. So um, kind of leaving the, you know, the photography gear behind and just reconnecting with nature helps me get out of those um, little lulls of not feeling creative, but you know, I think it's natural in anything, you know, you're going to hit a wall sometimes and just, you know, kind of get down on yourself about it. And, you know, we, as photographers, I find often than not, you know, we're very emotional creatures. You know, there's a lot of us that are introverts and, um, you know, it's, I think it's just to be expected that you're going to hit these walls every now and then, but what's helped me is just getting back up into nature you know, which is what got me into this entire field anyway, and just kind of reconnecting <clears throat> without the pressure of taking a camera with me or worrying about creating the next big thing. Yeah, I was gonna, I do the exact same thing, go out, don't take a camera or 
for for me purposefully skipping a good sunrise right with a camera and just sitting there like taking it in drinking a cup of coffee is, exactly is oftentimes when you're in that place more inspiring than taking your camera with you definitely and that connection is important to keep you know kind of lit up in your soul because you know, David and I have done the same things. Like we see this beautiful sunrise happening and, you know, we'll just go out and enjoy it. You know, you don't always have to capture it and it, it just does wonders for your mind. What do you have coming up in the rest of this year, uh, coming up in 2020 as well? So in about a week and a half, um, we'll actually depart from Ridgeway here and head to Mammoth, California. So I'm speaking and teaching at the Mammoth Photo Festival I'll be speaking on slow photography, which is a topic passionate to me, um, and storytelling. So I'm excited to be a part of that. Um, and then next year, I'm part of the Outsiders Landscape Photography Conference in Kanab. And right after that, Sarah Marino, Alex Noriega, and I are leading a small scenes kind of personal expression workshop in Zion right after that event. So I'm looking forward to collaborating with them. Um, you don't have to be an outsider or be part of the conference to do that workshop. It's open to anybody. And that's about half full right now. And it's been filling kind of quickly the last few weeks. Um, and then David and I just have our string of normal workshops in Death Valley. Um, and then he's speaking at the night photography conference next year in Kanab as well. So we're, we've got a pretty busy, pretty busy schedule coming up the next few months. And there's a bunch of personal some projects that we're working on that we hope to release next year as well. So it's good to be busy. <laughs> uh, why are so many landscape photographers, cat people like you <laughs> and David, Sarah and Ron Cascarosa, um, Ben Horn is a big cat person. I, is there, what's going on here? <laughs> I don't know. I think Josh Cripps has a cat too. I, always I think he stories. does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, there easy companions on the road. Um, the two cats that we have right now, actually, I raised myself. They were dropped off at the clinic at four days old because their mother had been hit by a car and there were four of them. And of course I was the tech that went, Oh, okay, I'll take them. And I raised them all and ended up adopting two out. And then we ended up keeping two and they're not cats. I mean, they act like dogs and I mean, they <laughs> love riding in the car. I mean, we have 16 hour drives some days on, you know, in between locations mm -hmm. and they love it. They'll just, they're like, okay, cool. What are we doing? Where, you know, a lot of people think of cats, you know, as being like super stressed. And that is true. I mean, a lot of cats hate the car ride, but these guys have adapted to trailer life better than I ever could have imagined. And, you know, it's fun having pets with you on the road, but you know, we would love to have a dog, but it's just, it's harder and the cats are just easier. So, but I don't know. I don't know what it is with <laughs> photographers and cats, but you're right. It is kind of a, a thing. Just a random thought I had when you mentioned Sarah's <laughs> name, I was like, y'all have cats. They have cats. Oh yes. And we, you know, exchange pet sitting services when we're in a location together, you know, if they want to go off and overnight somewhere and do something, you know, we'll watch their cat and they'll do the same for us. So it's, it's fun. And they That's... make, you know, pets always make life better. So that's hilarious. <laughs> well, Jennifer, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, sharing your thoughts about photography and, and the creative process. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been real fun.